Welcome to Synergetic Culture, where we exist to provide practical and tangible content to help you build a synergetic culture. Here's the dichotomy though. Culture is formed either by design or by default. A culture by design, when adopted by the people within the culture, has a multiplying effect in the way it builds the organization and the individuals within it. And this, my friends, this is a synergetic culture. So how do we create a culture by design? What fundamentals and tactics and principles build a synergetic culture? Well, you've come to the right place. So no matter where you find yourself in your career, this podcast is for you. And with that being said, let's jump into today's episode of Synergetic Culture. Welcome to episode 29 of Synergetic Culture. My name is Adam Bieber. I'm so glad you're joining us today, whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or right here on YouTube. I appreciate you listening and uh, joining us for this episode. We've been off for a couple of weeks, and uh, I'm excited to come back as we wrap up 2022. Uh, 2022, And um, just, man, it's been kind of a crazy year. And um, as I kind of plan and wrap up the year, I'm excited to sit down with the last couple of interviews going into uh, the end of this year and um, leading into already uh, a new year. So I appreciate you joining me today. I'm a little bit under the weather, so if you hear me cough, (laughs) that's what I got going on. I apologize. Um, But today I'm sitting down actually in my dining room, as you can see, and um, I'm hanging out with one of my really good friends, um, Victor Saldana. Uh, Victor and I met a couple of months ago um, through a community of awesome people. And, uh, we started to share a little bit about what we're passionate about. And, uh, turns out we're passionate about a lot of the same things. And as we were talking and I was just listening and learning from Victor, I told him, I was like, man, you got to come on the podcast. And so Victor, thank you so much for sitting down with me and being a part of this and being willing to talk and share some of your experience and insights with us. Um, I think it's going to be beneficial. Absolutely. No, thank you for having me. Um, excited to be here and, uh, to hopefully end out the year pretty strong and, uh, get into some state of mind stuff, actually like what, how can we springboard into the new year? So this will be, this will be fun. I love it. I love it. Well, usually when I interview people, I like to, um, just get a little bit of background. I want to know a little bit about you kind of get to know, um, what makes you tick and kind of what lay the foundation to build you to who you are today. Um, so if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit of your background, where you're from, um, what kind of family you grew up in, things like that. Yeah, of course. Uh, so again, my name is Victor Saldana and, uh, I am what you would call a Mexican American. (laughs) So honestly, uh, I'm American, but if I needed to be fit or put into a box or categorized, you would categorize me as a Mexican American. So, uh, born in Texas in Houston, Texas back in 1979. So a long time ago. Uh, in 1986, um, my parents uh, decided to move us to Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, cool. And so we moved here in late 86. As a matter of fact, this time of year in 86. And um, uh, so you're just a little guy. I was a little guy. I was seven years old. But man, when I got to thinking about the age I was at, because Texas and Houston, by and large, is still a huge influence in my life, uh, not just because of what it is and you know where it is but because on both sides of my family on my mom's and dad's side uh we still have a lot of family there cool 
And so there wasn't a year that's gone by in these last 36 years that we've been here in Atlanta that I've not somehow in uh, some way, shape, form has been in contact with people and uh, in Houston. So, um, but yeah, it was a long time ago, but those, those first seven years um, were formative years, um, especially if, you know, if you, if you dive into some of the um, psychology of growing up sure. and what impacts you, what influences you. Yeah. So I think that's another reason why it was to, even to this day, a big part of who I am yeah, we've, and how I continue to be. <clears throat> you and I have bonded over sports and most of the time we're on the same side of the, the fence with the sports, but um, the Houston Astros, I know you're also a fan yeah, because you still got those ties back home. So um, getting to see them win a world series this year is pretty cool. It was cool. And it was very interesting last year, especially seeing uh, the Astros and the Braves go at it mm-hmm. because uh, I wouldn't, I mean, Astros was probably the first professional team period that I was, became a fan of. And, yeah. But of course, moving here all those years ago to Atlanta, uh, I remember in the, uh, the year of 1991 going from wor- worst to first. Yeah. And it was a awesome journey all the way to, you know, last year when the Braves won it. Yep. So it was, yep. it was pretty, pretty, um, interesting to see them both hit, you know, I've never been in that kind of position, but fun to see, uh, then pull it out. Yeah. We're so growing up in Hawaii, we have no pro sports. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, and, and my parents weren't like super big sports people. So it wasn't until we moved to California that I started to really pay attention to sports and want to watch sports. And so I fell in love with all the LA teams as like a young eight year old. Cool. Um, so I kind of share that same sentiment because like I'm a Lakers fan, but I'm also a Hawks fan because I live in Atlanta and I've yeah. been here for so long, but I'm also a dog. Like the Dodgers were the first team I ever loved mm-hmm. uh, in any sport. And now it's like one of the Braves biggest rivals. So <laughs> yeah. it's always this like pull on my heart every time we got to play them in the playoffs or during the season. But yeah, man, it's, it's cool to, um, to find ways to connect and to bond over sports. And um, I know that's something that you and I have really enjoyed as of late. Um, so what was, do you got any siblings? What was life like growing up? Yeah, well, life growing up was a little tough because um, by and large, if you know anything about Latinos, Hispanic families, man, we tend to be on the larger side. Yeah. And so I can tell you at last count, um, well, with my siblings, it's just three of us. I have a younger brother and a younger sister. And but as far as first cousins, we're like 43, oh 43 gosh. first cousins. And that's that last check, which was, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago. So um, so we're pretty big and we're you know, we have a tight bond. As a matter of fact, with all you know, the miles and the time and the distance between us, we still manage to literally pick up where we left off when we meet up again for conversations oh, yeah. and stuff like that. And yeah. that's the kind of uh, life we, we, we live. Um, so but what was interesting is that that we were spread a little thin here in Atlanta. So it was, you know, for by and large, it was just the my immediate family and a few friends here and there. Uh, and then, of course, diving into school and community um, over a period of time, it just began to grow. And now we're in that season, in that stage of our lives where, you know, I'm married with children. My, my brother is, my sister is, my sister has uh, five kids. My brother has three. Mm. I have three of my own. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, uh, their spouses and their families are part of our families sure. and there's that extended. Yeah. Um, and then I have a few cousins here in town as well that um, almost feel more like siblings than they do cousins. Right. So, yeah. but, um, but yeah, my parents, um, 
they're Mexican. My mom is from uh, Guanajuato, which is a central part of Mexico. And my dad is from a neighboring state of Texas uh, called uh, Tamaulipas. Okay. And my dad was in the restaurant business and um, through a friend, you know, he told him, hey, uh, check out this place called Cadillac Bar. And if I'm not mistaken, I still I think I think it's still up and running in Houston. But oh, wow. it was it, it has, its heyday was probably bigger through the 80s, maybe early 90s. And um, there was a, a partnership of two two gentlemen that wanted to open up restaurants in the area that were very similar. And so they had brought they actually scouted and recruited some of the guys in Texas, in Houston to come to Atlanta uh, to start off the, the, this restaurant down or up here in Atlanta and Eventually, a word got around to my dad, and he made the move where Sweet. he wanted to be uh, a manager, leader in charge, where eventually he can own and start up his own restaurant. And he managed to do so um, after a few years, but eventually he got tired of that life just wasn't for him anymore. Mm-hmm. And he got into real estate, and um, the rest is history as far as you know what he's done and the rest of our family doing what we do today. Sure, sure. Um, so I grew up in a big family as well. There's, um, five kids in my immediate family. And then I think it's been a minute since I've done a a count. I think we're about 13 or 14 on my mom's side of the family in in terms of cousins. And then on my dad's side, a handful, I'm not as close to my dad's side. So I don't, I haven't had a long relationship with all of them, but big Mm -hmm. family, lots of cousins growing up with siblings. I think if you grow up with more than two siblings then you learn a lot growing up <laughs> yeah uh, sure kind of build your character sometimes um i know for me growing up with with two older sorry three older and one younger uh but i was the middle son so i always kind of wasn't quite sure where i fit in and sometimes the older kids would gang up on me and defend the younger one and if we sat any of them down here they'd tell you i was the favorite child and i don't know what they're talking about <laughs> but uh um, it was fun. It helped yeah. build a lot of my character. I'm sure that um, growing up with siblings and just kind of watching the example of your parents sounds like your dad was a really hard worker and just kind of right. building uh, the foundation of who who you are. Um, what was uh, what was your 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 school life like? Were you into sports? Were you playing sports at the time? What was that like? Man, I'll tell you, I was not the sharpest crayon in the box. Um, I'm five nine. So I'm average for American. I'm like an inch uh, above average, average for Mexican. <laughs> um, but my, my work ethic was, you know, I was that scrappy baseball player that just get after it out work, out hustle. Yeah. Uh, a lot of that was instilled in me by my parents as well. Cause they were almost like no different. Yeah. And uh, I was going to just outwork you out hustle you mm. um, and, and, and literally take whatever attributes or talents or any little bit I had and, try to direct all that energy in one place for to 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 hit the target Mm -hmm. so to speak yeah and hopefully um you know garner some success out of that and so that was um i don't know means and methods for me for a little while before you know later on in life as you as you learn and grow uh when you start putting the pieces of the puzzle together for for things to make sense as far as what's your recipe for success Mm -hmm. i realized that that um kind of like coincides with some of the stuff that I, that I've put down on paper that I'd like to share with you guys. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Um, for me, I feel like I really came into my own as a young man, as a teammate, as a leader, when I started playing football in high school, 
Um, I wasn't one that played growing up, so I wasn't in these feeder programs. I got the opportunity to play my sophomore year of high school, and um, it was it was hard. The first year of playing football was really hard. And I'm 5'10", so I've got an inch on you. <laughs> or according to the United States Air Force, I'm 5'9 and 3 fourths, but I, <laughs> I round up. Yeah. So I'm, I'm over here 5'10", not very fast, willing to work hard, um, played uh, offensive and defensive line, back up a little bit of a linebacker, but I wasn't, I was always the smallest one on the line. And I just knew if I'm going to be the smallest one out here, I'm going to be the fastest. I'm going to hit as hard as possible. Uh, But it really did like that set the foundation for um, a lot of me kind of growing into my own and realizing that I can lead, I have power, I have strength, I have um, uh, the ability to impact people around me uh, on my team, my teammates. Um, And so it was, uh, it was pretty formidable for me. Like uh, some of my coaches who uh, shout out to coach Rick. I don't, I don't know where, where, where he's at. And if he's listening to this, I think he still is local, but he, um, he was one of those that, that came up to me after my senior year and just said, man, like you became a man out here. Like that was a a huge, huge piece of, of my growing up. Um, And I think you're, you're right. It, a lot of it kind of shapes some of the characteristics we take into our future. Um, uh, so <clears throat> I want to kind of get to where you are now, cause now you get to do some pretty cool things with how you incorporate leadership into what you do for a career, but, um, kind of guide me along the journey. So graduate high school, did you stay local? Have you always been in the Atlanta area? Have you ever left since you moved here? No. So Atlanta has been home. Um, uh, and, and quite frankly, you know, we've had a chance to travel, go around the country, uh, maybe not to the full extent, but enough to see a little bit of what else is out there. And, and Atlanta's great. Uh, the metro area, it's Atlanta's not for everybody, but for those that kind of get it and understand, man, it's a great place for, yeah. um, you know, further in education, raising a family, um, the economy, the influences, uh, you're within seven, you're, yeah, you're within a two hour flight of 70% of the population of the U S from Hartsfield Jackson. Yeah. Uh, the rest of that percentage is the West coast. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I think logistically and where it's positioned, it's why, you know, it's pretty attractive for, for a lot of, uh, professionals and companies. Um, and then those that, you know, understand the area geographically, man, you're not too far from the Northern, you know, the North Georgia mountains and, you know, you're not too far away from a healthy drive down to Florida to reach the coast, whether it's Florida or the, 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 you know, Alabama coast, uh, South Carolina, or even parts of Georgia down there by, um, yeah, Savannah and all. So, um, no. And then everything else that, you know, urban, the Metro, uh, uh, Metro Atlanta brings to the, to the, to the plate is, is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how long have you been, um, in, in your career field now? So in my career field now, I've been, I want to say 13, 14 years, 12 years with the company that I'm with now. Awesome. Um, so kind of going back to high school. So, you know, like I said, I wasn't exactly, you know, not that I'm talking bad about myself or anything like that, but it's it's good to be able to take kind of stock and inventory of who you are, sure. where a little you know what. Check. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't, I didn't trust myself to make the grade in college. And I know that at co- college it was financially we weren't exactly strong enough to take a chance on that. Yeah, you know, or, or me thinking about it sure. in my own right. And so I thought, um, you know what? <clears throat> what about the military? Right. 
and I did two years ROTC, Navy ROTC with the, uh, uh, expectation of, of maybe enlisting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, um, growing up in, so when we moved to Atlanta, I say Atlanta, but to kind of break it down. So we, we, we moved to Sandy Springs, which is a suburb of Atlanta. Yeah. So we were in Sandy Springs from 86 all the way to 95 and 95. That was my freshman year. Um, or going into my freshman year and then, um, of high school, right? High school. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. In high school. And, um, but that was also the year. So we, I did one, one year at the high school that I grew up kind of like growing to, or that district, uh, which was North Springs high school. Okay. And, yep. um, well, I spent my freshman year there, but then the following year, my going into my sophomore, we moved out to East Cobb, uh, Marietta, okay. yeah. which is not too very, it's not very far from Sandy Springs, yeah. but man, in that time, um, the community, it, you know, then just the, um, way of life is, it was different. Sure. You know, the people are a little is, different. Yeah. You'd be surprised. That's another, <clears throat> I tell you, that's another kind of cool thing about Atlanta is that, um, the different communities have their own vibe, vibe and style and being and all that. And then and East Cobb was no different. And, um, well, even 25 years removed, those right. two areas are not a far drive, but you're right. There are different, different speed, different tempo, different way of life, different community, just a totally different vibe. Completely. Right. Yeah. In Sandy Springs. I mean, you know, you're dealing with the, you know, well-to-do kids and the not so well-to-do kids that some of them came up from South Fulton County. Sure. And so it, it did have a, a nice, like little healthy urban hip hop vibe to the way yeah. we grew up. As uh-huh. a matter of fact, the, that was a school district that Usher Raymond yeah. went to. Yeah. He was, uh, I think when I was in the sixth grade, he was like in the eighth grade. And so, uh, back then it was like, you know, we didn't pay too much attention sure. to him, but the yeah. guy was always driven from day one. I mean, he was always about that, uh, being in talent shows and stuff. And obviously yeah. we know who he is today and what he's, you know, his success he's had. I don't think I ever knew his last name until now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you just said it, I yeah. was like, I'm assuming this uh, is sure. Usher. Yeah. Yeah. Usher <laughs> that's, Raymond. Yeah. That's um, awesome. So anyway, so, you know, we move out to East Cobb and, um, so for the most part at growing up, I never really ran into any kind of like racial tension or anything mm. like that. Fortunately. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I know it, I knew it existed. Um, but nothing too harsh. So I was very fortunate to kind of like dive that bullet, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately in those last years of high school, I kind of ran into some and you know, when you're young, man, you could be a hothead, you know, you're, 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 you're just full of, <laughs> you know, uh, pent up energy and stuff sure, like that. Sure. And if people come at you a certain way, you're, 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 you could potentially retaliate in ways that maybe it's not the best. Yeah. Right. Yep. And I remember being in that position and thinking to myself, man, I'm, I'm, I'm making a big decision, life decision about joining the military, serving my country, potentially even giving my life for my country. Yeah. I'd be danged if I come back to the civilian world just to be treated, to be like treated this. like I just, or yeah. just to, to be treated like I just crossed the river. Yeah. You know, because sometimes people, you know, like I was talking earlier, you know, you get um, designated a certain, you know, label or in this case, Mexican American, but, um, there's a lot of patriotic folks that aren't fully, you know, <laughs> you know, that, that, that would give, yeah. you know, of their, their lives sure. for a greater Absolutely. good, for a greater cause. Yeah. And so there's a lot of patriotic folks out there that we sometimes that, that are in the minority uh, side of things that, uh, it, it would be healthy to say, Hey, you know, pump the brakes and think, Hey, let's not forget about those folks. There's some great patriots out there oh, yeah. that would do so much for this country. So, so what happened is, um, so while I'm trying to figure this thing out, um, a Marine actually intercepted me from the Navy. He's like, Hey, never mind the Navy. 
And uh, you, you, could, you could tell that this gentleman was not put in that position because he had a talent. It was more because he, it was a job for him to do. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, the little things he wasn't taking care of, like he would forget my name. He'd tell me the same old spiel story again about the uh, Domino, Domino's Pizza guy. And, yeah. And I thought, man, this is too much of a big decision for me to just kind of like. Uh, Willy nilly trust right, this guy who doesn't right, even remember my. Right. And, my then, name and then anything. on top of that, kind of running into some of that personal stuff that I ran into. Sure. And so that was a game changer for me. And so I really had to kind of look inside myself and, and I thought, man, what, you know, uh, what am I going to do? And yeah. so I, I, I thought to myself, well, I'm, I'm fortunate to live in a country where maybe the military route for me is not going to be the way. Um, and so I got into um, the car business. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> So I got into the car business and, um, man, I spent, um, close to nine years in the car industry oh, wow. doing parts. I did sales, I did service. Um, and it was one of those things where unfortunately at the end of those nine years, I realized I finally had a chance to pump the brakes and say, do I really have a, gen- a genuine love or passion for what I'm doing? Yeah. And unfortunately, the answer was no. no yeah. I was so busy putting my my time and energy into just climbing the ladder. Now, in the middle of all that, you know, we I lived through 9-11. Yeah. A lot of folks, right? So, but I, I was around, what was I, like 21, 22 years old when that happened? And so that was a game changer, too. I mean, that changed everybody's world. Almost sure. no different from, like, uh, what we just went through with 2020, yeah. right? Yeah. And so um, it, what I mean by that is that because everybody kind of was like back at square one, so to speak. Um, I was right back at it where it just kind of, I dove into climbing the ladder and seeing what I can do uh, with this uh, car, uh, the car industry. And and I did well, Yeah. but unfortunately um, it's a revolving door, man. And sometimes <clears throat> no matter how much or how well you put, you know, time, effort and energy and all that into that work. Sometimes if people above you get swapped out or changed out or fired, man, uh, they're going to bring in their own teams. <laughs> and so yep. sometimes when they come in with their new teams, that means whoever's in the house is wiped out or something yep. like that. Yep. And I remember, unfortunately, there came a moment where one of probably like the my best friends that I could have told you was a closest friend of mine in the industry. Um, he ended up selling to one of my customers that I had already put in a lot of time and process and, 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 uh, what was I just, you know, I was going to sell them. I forget what it was exactly. I think it was tires for a vehicle or something like that. But, um, this gentleman was aware and the next day I was out for, I don't know, maybe a lunch break or something like that. Come back to work and find out that the guy sold it, you know, all that work I had done to look up this stuff. And I thought, man, if one of my good friends in this industry, right, do pull that on me, then I can only imagine. <coughs> he you poached know, your moving. deal. Yeah. He poached my deal. Dang. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it kind of, I obviously, left the bad taste in my mouth sure. and it got my brain thinking, you know, what's my next move out yeah. of here. Yeah. And, um, very fortunate that one of my clients actually, um, worked for a general contractor in town. And I remember thinking to myself how, cause I finally took a moment and say, what do I really love? What do I genuinely love? And I thought yeah. something super simple. I thought, you know what? It, yeah. I, I realized that anytime I had an extra five, uh, minutes, I'd get on the internet and I'd be looking up like skyscrapers and what big projects were going on around town. Yeah. And then it kind of like dawned on me. I'm like, man, I, I have a genuine love and passion 
I'm almost a geek when it comes to skyscrapers and stuff like that. Yeah. These destinations and buildings. I mean, I genuinely love that. And um, so I run into this gentleman who's a, a superintendent at this general contractor in town. And I told him, I said, hey, man, what do I have to do to get in with you guys? I'm not a plumber. I'm not a carpenter. You know, I'm not an electrician. He says, uh, do you speak Spanish? I'm like, yeah, I speak Spanish. He's like, why don't you see about safety? I'm like, safety? What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I know, you know, I'd heard of OSHA and what they do and how, you know, why they exist and all. It usually but, has a negative connotation yeah. whenever somebody <laughs> yeah. brings it up, right? Yeah. <laughs> And I'm sure we'll get to that. Yeah. Well, he said, um, yeah. why don't you see about safety? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, go talk to this safety director at our company. And it took me about three weeks to get in front of this gentleman, but I did. And, um, I tell you, man, I, I, I didn't have much of anything to kind of like give to him. I mean, he was, as a matter of fact, I took a pay cut, but I put myself in front of him and I told him, I said, look, I may not know this, that, and the other, but I can tell you, I can name all the projects that you guys have around town. Yeah. And he awesome. looked at me and he obviously saw something in me and he says, well, I'll give you a shot. And man, he started me at $15 an hour. Wow. Yeah. Even, I mean, back, even back then that was, that was not a lot of money. No, man. it wasn't. No, but man, you know, I, because I found out and I realized what my passion was, where I knew now I can put that time, effort and energy to, in that, in, to, to drive myself. I said, I just wanted to get my foot in the door. Sure. Yeah. And I know that once I got my foot in the door, the rest was just going to not come easily. But it's I mean, obviously, you're going to have to work. But um, but that passion would help me. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm sure all the the stuff that you took from growing up and realizing you're not the biggest one out on the field, but you're going to mm-hmm. outwork, you're going to outplay, you're going to out train, you're going to out. You, you're going to bring that same energy and uh, determination and grit to whatever it is you're doing. And if you, I think what a lot of people don't realize is there's a lot of one, this life is short and two, there's a lot of value in being able to find what you're passionate about and start to sink your teeth into it. Um, whether or not it's drawing a paycheck. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think a lot of people miss that. They just get complacent and kind of sit in the, you know, what they're doing instead of dreaming about doing something more and tapping into what they're passionate about. Right. Um, you mentioned earlier the, the Marine recruiters and man, military recruiters get a really bad rap. I was fortunate. I had a really, really good one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you retired master Sergeant of the air force out of the air force. Um, master Sergeant Dunn. He was a really, really good dude. Uh, checked on me a lot. Um, was honest, uh, upfront, um, uh, one of the, the the better ones out there, but it's unfortunate sure. that a lot of people have that experience where they either get roped into doing something or, right. you know, uh, lied to kind of bend the truth, twist it a little bit just to get you in the door. And then you end up having a miserable three or four years. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, something that you said earlier kind of resonated with me because I used to be in construction, but it was residential and I was, mm-hmm. um, I started working as a, a finishing manager for um, a production home builder. And so take the houses from uh, once they get all the appliances and everything and kind of finish out the house and get it over to the the, the homeowners. And um, I started doing that and I was 23, 22 at the time. So I was really young doing this. And then... Um, and then started working to become a builder and was one of the youngest builders in the company I was working for in the history of the company. 
and I got really good at it. Like I got really good at managing the building process and knowing the steps. And, um, I had somebody ask me, they said, do you, do you like what you do? And I said, well, I'm good at it. He said, are you passionate about it? And I sat there and thought about it and I was like, not at all. And yeah, yeah. it, uh, it, it, I learned a ton. Like there's so much that I take away from attention to detail and being able to, to, to manage complex projects. I, you know, I, I use some of the stuff I learned back then today. Um, but it was kind of a little wake up call for me when I realized I, I'm not really passionate about this. And then I stayed in the industry for a couple more years. Um, and, uh, tried a different couple different things and just didn't feel like that was my true calling or really, uh, leveraging my gift set. And so it was kind of a mission for me to try to figure out, okay, what am I passionate about? What can I yeah. sink my teeth into and really work at and develop and, and try to get the best out of me for the people I'm around. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, okay. So you start, you, 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 you get them to take a shot on, take a chance with you and yeah, and just jump out, give this a shot. What was it like? I mean, what, what were the, the early stages? Cause now, I mean, 12, 13 years with the same company, you've grown a ton. Um, well, it, we'll go back real quick on that. So I was with that company for a year. Okay. Unfortunately, I ended up leaving over gas money. That was back when uh, gas had risen over $4 a gallon. I was driving yeah. from Atlanta to Athens Monday through Friday. I've got a V8 truck or I had a V8 <laughs> truck that, and it wasn't their fault that I had that kind of, um, that engine. And, uh, my goodness, I realized that the money I was making, I was, uh, a good chunk of it was going just to gas and yep. I wasn't getting per diem. And so I didn't know anything from anything, man, when, when, you know, as starting up, yeah. you know, yeah, for sure. because companies, uh, good companies either provide per diem or, you know, they, they may even have like a truck allowance or something sure. like that. Sure. And that's, that's gotta be worked out. Right. Yep. So I was in no position to try to negotiate anything. Like I said, I was just trying to get my foot in the door. But at the end of the day, when it came down to it, you know, am I, you know, can I, can I afford to put food and on the table and keep the lights on at home? And when I was struggling with that, I said, look, I'm sorry, but I had to leave. I had to leave. Yeah. And, um, so, but long story short, I, I, I rebounded and I did, um, join another company, uh, which is the company that I'm with today. And the person who hired me, I kind of shared a little bit of that story and in and, and more detail. And, and that person knew the other person from a distance and from just uh, their professional circles and sure. realized, you know what? I see the situation, but no, no, no. Come on with us. We got you. Cool. And cool. from day one, it was like training and they provided all these things, the things that I didn't have to worry, the things that, you know, would allow me to do my job, yeah. basically. Yeah. You know, taking care of all that so I can focus on my professional career yeah. and developing, uh, the safety manager that I am turn, you know, safety trainer now. Yeah. Right. And, um, so it was very, it was a unique situation for me. One to find out what my passion is. Yeah. <clears throat> um, start working in that, um, that field, but then also doing it with, in, in our construction world, as it stands right now about, it's a 40, 60 split when it comes to English, uh, speaking and Spanish speaking. Gotcha. And 40% is, uh, Spanish speaking. Okay. And so, and that's where of course using the Spanish is, is tremendous for me. And it was a little bit of a challenge, man. Cause I came out of high school almost speaking none of it. Yeah. Because I grew up in Sandy Springs and East Cobb where there's yeah. hardly any Hispanics. I mean, there probably is a lot more now, but in, in my days of growing up late eighties, nineties, 
I was one of five and my yeah. sister was the other person, you know, like uh, <laughs> we, we, we made it up, we made up the whole Latino community there. But, um, so coming out of high school, I really had to like jump back on it and practice it. And I don't speak it perfectly by any means, but I do enough to, to, to be able to teach and train. Sure. Uh, because I also take pride in the fact that, you know, there's some people that have a pet peeve of like, um, you know, if you're going to speak a language, speak that one language and don't mix it up because there is such a thing as people talk about Spanglish all the time where yeah. you're mixing both languages. Yep. Yep. And that's, and that's fair. And that's common, especially when it comes to like Chicanos, Mexican Americans, or those that of, um, Hispanic background that grew up in the, in the state speaking English, it's easy for them to kind of, you know, just the path of least resistance and throw that word out there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> yeah, I, and I remain a student of the language, try to, try to, you know, uh, make it better with every, every round and every time. Sure. And, and that's, uh, man, just fortunate enough to say that I'm in a position where I am bridging the gap between the, the English culture and the Spanish culture. Yeah. And, you know, earlier I mentioned my parents, well, my parents are first generation and I'm second generation and it's me being a second generation Mexican American or Mexican American looking back and saying, I get to be second generation because of that first one. Yep. So in my profession, I do help, right, in many ways. But I also, in my in my way of looking at it, it's like me reaching my hand back to that first generation and saying, hey, sure. I've got your back. Yeah, yeah. Because of you, we get to do what we do. We're not going to forget about you. Yeah. You need help. You need assistance. You need, you who can make life a little easier? Life's already hard. Yeah. And in a lot of my trainings, yeah, I try to simplify it to the point where I'm here to try to figure out how to make your life easier. Yeah. I'm not here to add any, you know, weight. I'm not here to add any problems or strains or anything. So how can we figure it out together? How can I make life simpler? And that's why I kind of break it down in some principles. And then, you know, when it comes to safety on construction, man, it, it comes down to controls and a combination of human performance. Yeah. And the truth is for us to think that there's going to be like zero accidents and stuff like that. That's, that's, um, a pipe dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, man, I, I, I'm of the school of understanding that as long as humans are around roaming the earth, yeah, we can, we can, we're, we're going to mess gonna it be, up. We're going to mess it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. hundred percent. Um, and so a combination of human performance with controls that are in place, because here's some crazy stats, man, airline pilots, apparently uh, studies show that they make or commit as many errors as we do in construction. Wow. That's pretty scary. Wow. Right? <laughs> okay. Wow. But what they have is a lot of controls in place. They have a lot of checklists sure, in sure. place, yep. things to help you know, keep them up yep. in the air, flying, yep. and keep them going. And we're a different industry, but we also, like I dive into that. How do they do it in aerospace? How, did, how do they perform in military, in sports, uh, martial arts even, when yep. it comes to muscle memory yeah, and stuff like that, sure. path of least resistance, you know? Um, Again, it takes a little energy at the very beginning, but once you kind of set a routine, um, means and methods where, you know, um, that can help make your life a little easier. That's what, that's what I like to dive into. So you and I have talked a little bit. So now as a safety trainer, you travel to different jobs for your company and you're training people for what a day or two at a time and talking about different regulations, different code. I mean, like what is, what, what exactly do you, do you do when you go and, and train? Right. So uh, for the most part, so our, we have a great presence in the Southeast. So I spend a lot of time 
in, in Georgia, make my way to the Carolinas, Alabama, Tennessee, occasionally to Texas, Florida. Um, and it, I range everything from a OSHA 10 to a 30 to MUPE training, which is your acronym for mobile elevated work platforms, your boom lifts and scissor lifts and stuff gotcha. like that, forklift gotcha. training, yep. CPR, uh, flagger signaler, the guys that uh, flag and signal the uh, uh, rigging and signaling that signal the cranes. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so a variety of that stuff, traffic flagger and stuff like that, and both languages, English and Spanish. Yeah. And so um, you can imagine OSHA says a lot. Um, sure. OSHA says a lot and they, they started up in 1970. Okay. They're part of the, they're under the department of labor. The department of labor actually started up in 1913, if I'm not mistaken. So there was a big, you know, gap between 1913 to 1970. And before OSHA came to be and OSHA is an acronym for occupational safety and health administration. It's uh, from the government. And so because they're, uh, um, government administration, they, they can kind of be slow in moving forward and, and, and pushing um, the rules and regulation, but it's a community. It's, it's them, but it's also the professionals that are out there in the industry. And so it's sharing that information that is a lot. And if you recall, if you're old enough to remember the phone books, imagine a phone book in front of you and how oh, thick yeah. that thing is. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. So there's a lot of rules and regs there. Yep. And I can tell you as a safety professional, I'm not going to recall and remember every last bit of it. Sure. Sure. I remember I had like the the residential code from like 2017. <laughs> the book was like this thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Of course. But, but I, what I have learned, and this is where experience comes into play, right? Is that uh, we've taken a deep dive in those books. And I say, we, I'm talking about me and my colleagues Yeah. in my company. We're fortunate to have, I mean, we've reached up to like 90 safety managers company wide. That's a lot, man. Okay. Yeah. So like one of the things I tell our men and women is like, you may not recall, you know, what 1926.326A says, but, <laughs> yeah. but I at least need you to know where to get the answer. Sure. What resources do you have? You have us, you have your, your, your supervisor, your foremans, you have safety managers. We dive in, we've, we've navigated those waters. We know how to, you know, swim through those things and go yeah. through them and so on. And so, and there's some things that I also understand that, um, and I'm paraphrasing, OSHA has a lot of regs. And I can tell you this, that you as a human being, you come up on a situation that looks kind of sketchy, kind of dangerous. Maybe you're unsure about it. You're feeling the, the, the butterflies in your stomach. If that, that's enough to pump the brakes. That's enough for you to say what you got to ask the question. What does OSHA say right here? Yeah. And nine times out of 10, OSHA probably has a regulation that speaks to whatever it is you're looking at. Sure. And even if they didn't, they could piggyback on ANSI, which is your American National Standards Institute, uh, the, uh, who the manufacturer is. Right. Sure. You know, we got yep. equipment all around us and I've seen microphones and I've seen these uh, things before, but to really take a deep dive to how they function and work and all that, I go to straight to the manufacturer to find out the, the ins and outs. Yep. Right. Yep. And the beautiful thing about nowadays is that, you know, if you're the kind of person that doesn't like to take the time for the instructions, well, nowadays who doesn't have a video for something, right? Yeah. yeah. YouTube university. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's a huge help. Um, so, you know, I, I share this information and, and, and I, I, I help them through it all to yeah. just kind of give them a different perspective and exactly kind of break it down for them so they can kind of uh, take that jagged pill and get rid of the jaggedness. And <laughs> Sure. Something I found really fascinating uh, in talking to you that I kind of want to dive into here is 
before we started recording and even in the past, you and I've talked about this. It's very, um, black and white. Um, you know, uh, there's not, not a lot of sexy to, uh, teaching safety or making sure people understand where to uh, resource or find different regulations and codes and rules and things to keep them safe. Um, however, you've been able to kind of put your, your own flavor on what you do and incorporate leadership and, and helping people develop themselves almost as a person before they even get to how do I comply with the most updated regulations. And I think that's so interesting. And I really would like for you to talk a little bit about kind of some of the stuff that you've started to do and how you, how you, um, how the perspective you teach from and how you try to help people better grab a hold of some of the more black and white. Yeah. So speaking of black and white, this, yeah, this could be a black and white, um, subject matter. Right. Yeah. And, uh, so the challenge for me is like, how do I splash a little color on this thing? Yes. Yes. How do I make it come to life? And it's perspective. It's story sharing. Sometimes it's bringing it, bring it down home, bring yeah. it to the basics. Yeah. Um, you can imagine in our world of construction, there's like excavations and the things that could be very dangerous if they're not shored up. If you don't have trench boxes, if you don't have the, the, the things in place, the controls in place to protect you from a, from a cave in. Yep. Okay. Yep. And that's the kind of danger that's to the level that, when you see somebody out there doing that, you already know from the very beginning that there should be a competent person involved. Yep. So from my perspective, I, when I come at a situation in excavation, I already know that somebody in that group is going to be a competent person. So I'm coming at them a little, maybe a little rougher than anybody else. Okay. Every, with everybody else, there's always benefit of the doubt, right? You're, sure. You're, sure. Yeah. Uh, ha- try to handle that, that EQ and, so a few years ago around the holiday season I was on a project and there was a few um, uh, guys in uh, excavation that I could tell from a distance was not very it was not shored up properly and it was just an unsafe excavation to be in it was two guys yeah and I made eye contact with them and they looked at me and they slowly kind of like creep back and crawled out they you know came out of the excavation because they knew and I thought okay well there's my first warning that's my look and you guys understand you shouldn't be in there and it just so happened that later that day, one of their higher up shows up from the office and he's uh, thanking them, handshaking, and he's giving like Christmas bonuses, okay, checks. And I'm, I'm guessing it's Christmas bonus. It was around the holiday season. Sure, I'm guessing sure. it's holiday, you know, bonus yep, checks. Yep. And I tried to sneak in there and put my hand out and see that he would give me a, a nice check, man. I missed out on it. But I thought, you know, how cool was that? It was very nice, <clears throat> yeah, right? Yeah. Something that the guys were not expecting, right? Well, the very next day, unfortunately, I'm out there again. And then sure enough, I see the guys back in that excavation. And now I'm like, you know, I got to stop what I'm doing. Let me go out there and actually have a conversation with them face to face. So first things first, I go straight to their to their foreman. Okay. And the foreman, I say, hey, man, what's going on here with you guys? You you guys understand you're, this is not a good setup. This is unsafe. Y'all don't need to be in there. And he started giving me the kind of excuses that a, a typical safety manager always hears. Uh-huh. Okay. Unfortunately. And I said, you know what? Hang on, man. Let me just, I'll go, let me just go ahead and speak straight to these guys. Cause they were Spanish and I said, you know, I speak Spanish and I said, Hey muchachos. I said, Hey guys, um, I asked them this question. I said, Hey, do you, did you guys receive that bonus check yesterday? That Christmas holiday check? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good. It was good. It was good. Yeah, it was great. Were we all expecting that? No, no, but we were glad we had them. Like, and then I said, um, how much is that check going to be worth to you later on today? If you're going to be slap covered up in this dirt, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it was like, 
it all of a sudden it kind of paused, it clicked, yeah. and it's like, is it sometimes we're so gung ho about things and we have that tunnel vision, which it has its time yes. and it has its purpose. But man, when you're putting your life on the line like that, I say, guys, I mean, let's not forget because a lot of times, you know, I'm not profiling, but if you think back to some of these folks and their background, where they came from, you know, the sacrifice, the distance, sure. the, the tearing of families, yep. um, you know, was it worth it all? You know, I mean, yeah, you're here to provide for your family, better living and all that, but at what price? Yeah. And if, you know, if, if you guys aren't protecting each other, taking care of yourself, then who is? Yeah. Now it's part of my job. It's not my only job and there's only so much I can do, but it's, you know, how can I share this information and, and in such a way that can get those clicks in the head and say, you know sure. what, you're right. Yeah. And so, um, but I've also developed with, with the opportunity I've had to be out in the field together with the training piece, being in front of PowerPoints and slides and seeing it on paper and on screen, I developed six principles that um, are kind of the cliff notes or the spark notes when it comes to the approach sure. of safety. It all with the, with the mindset of how can I make this easier? Because uh, earlier I mentioned to you that studies are out there that show that when you attend a class or an orientation, that supposedly you only take away 10% of everything that yeah. was spoken. Yeah. Yep. Now add to that, that, <clears throat> well, if you jot and take notes, stats and studies show that you're 10 times more likely to remember. Yeah. So I encourage, you know, taking notes and I try to be visual and I try to share stories and you're dealing with adults. Yep. So it's adult learning as well. Uh-huh. Right. And so then I bring in, you know, martial arts and sports. I'll talk about Tom Brady. I talk about Kirby smart. I talk about military and the Marines and the drill instructors. Yep. Right. Yep. I'm an instructor, but then you have your drill instructor. Yep. What's the difference? Well, the big difference is that they're going through drills and what's a drill in sports. You go through drills. You play practice. baseball practice is drills. Yep. Martial arts is drills as well. Yep. Sometimes you're doing martial arts and you're, you're, you're doing a few moves with your upper body and you're thinking to yourself, when am I going to be like Bruce Lee or Jackie Chan or something? You yeah. Know? Yeah. And when you least expect it, when you're out there in some sort of crazy danger, like I was at a Braves game, I was about to run into a guy that was like six foot and I'm five, nine. And, and I could tell by my peripheral vision that I was going to run into this guy chest to chest. But before the thought could even leave my mind, my upper arms, my arms, or I say my upper, my upper body, my arms went up at a 90 degree, 45 degree angle with my uh, forearms and literally like a shock absorber, I bounce into this guy's chest and roll off. And I'm like freaked out. Like, oh my gosh, I'm like Spider-Man. I just found out I have powers. And the guy's <laughs> like, hey buddy, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. But my body reacted yep. to some of those drills and the practices that we were doing in martial arts. Sure. Sure. I wasn't ready for it. Yeah. My mind wasn't, but my body did. And in, in military, it's uh, that's the drill instructors too. Yep. You see that rust on that, on that rifle automatic weapons failure, you know, and yeah. they're busting your chops there. Cause better they ch bust your chops there in, at, in boot camp than when you're overseas. Yep. Yep. And there is no room for error. Yeah. And it's live, live fire. Live and rounds. before yeah. you go into yeah. live fire, man, wherever you're, where you're, you're up in the plane jumping out or you're on the ground, what's one of the last things they tell you? Like, remember your training, remember your training. And there, it's not actually remembering your training. It's almost allow your body to, you know, revert back to its muscle memory. Sure. Right. Yep. yep. And literally taking all that information that you were fed through a, a fire hose and, you know, putting in a position or allow it to work in your best interest. Yeah. And so, um, 
Yeah. Uh, examples uh, that, that, you know, and I tell our guys, we're not the military. We're not martial arts. We're not sports. We never will be. Yep. But um, Marine drill instructor, I remember seeing in, in some of these um, studies and some of the, the actual um, moments of training where they sure. talk about, yeah. you know, we orientate everything towards combat because when you're told to do something, you don't do it. It can cost somebody their life. Yep. Well, I just so happened to be doing some studies on communication and who better to look at communication than like Peyton Manning, yeah. right? If you remember him in his oh, days of yeah. playing, yep. he was audible this, audible that. Omaha was, this, oh, Omaha exactly. That. Yeah, yeah. And there was moments he had to actually go down his offensive line to make sure the guy on the far end knew what the play was sure. because if he didn't, it would cost them a play. Yep. So here you got a Marine talking about it could cost somebody their life and Peyton talking about it could cost a play. But in our world of construction, it could be one or the other. Yep. It could be a play or it could be somebody's life. Wow. And so, um, yeah, well, I'm not the quarterback. Well, I'm not the leader. And you've heard we've spoken about this before. Yeah. And this is what I love about leadership is that, man, look, depending on what your position is, whether it's a leader, posi- uh, leader position or not, you don't have to be the leader to be a leader. Yep. Yep. Like one of the things that gives me confidence to come here in front of this Love mic that. and talk to you is that I'm not the subject matter expert of what I'm talking about, but I am a subject matter expert and I'm only sharing my vantage point, my view. This is my recipe and you get to take with you whatever you want because you're creating your, at the end of the day, you're creating your own recipe sure. for success. And you could take a little bit of what I've said and say, you know what? That resonates with me or, you know, I'm going to try that or I haven't tried that or or what you're hearing what I'm saying and you're saying, man, that he just validated what I thought about yep. in the past. Yep. That's kind of the hope here. Um, I've always had this, this heart and passion in, in doing this podcast was that there'd be a resource when, when, when somebody listens to this, they, they can, um, resonate, they can hear themselves in the story and, and they can connect to something. And, and I always want people to walk away with, something practical that they can apply immediately. And there's almost two things that have stood out to me that I kind of want to hone in on. One of them is the value of having uh, somebody in your world, no matter what profession or background or application you would find yourself in to help provide a, uh, a source of wisdom, a check and a balance because that tunnel vision is real. Like I get it in my own job. Um, it, it doesn't cost people's lives when I get stuck in tunnel vision, but sometimes it can cost um, maybe a little um, uh, relational rapport if I just get fixated on my idea and, and pushing my agenda and my way of doing what I want to do. Um, <clears throat> but I think for others too, there's... there's um, the tunnel vision can cost people the the um, ability to see the full picture and having somebody, whether it be somebody on your team, uh, it, you know, it, if it's like within your career, like somebody in, in your team or in your world, sometimes it's even just like a mentor that just has a seat at the table and can kind of see the picture of your life and speak into, hey, man, I think I think you might have a little bit of tunnel vision here. And I think you might not be seeing the full picture. Yeah. And while I know you want to get the job done, um, it's not safe for you to be in this spot. Yeah. And and for you, it's very practical because those two guys that were that were in that excavation should not have been there, and it could have cost them both their lives. But I mean, I think there's there's scenarios that all of us could find ourselves in where we need somebody in our life to go, hey, it's probably not the best for you. 
Like, I don't see this going great. Right. And one little mistake and everything could come crashing down. Right. Yeah. No, you, you need some of those checkpoints in your life, man. That's healthy. Um, the, the owner of our company has a graphic in our training room and it says, um, the reason of our success is really simple. It's all due to our people. Yeah. And that sounds, it's super simple, super simple. But if I slow down enough to kind of unpack that, look at that from a different perspective, or what, what does that really mean? If there's two big giant, giant things that are takeaways for me. And first of all is if, if the owner is saying that, um, our success is really simple. It's all due to our people. Then sometimes when I'm in there talking to some of our, of our leaders, I say that I ask them, then why aren't we tapping into that? Yeah. Why aren't we tapping into that resource as much as we should? Sure. And sometimes that in position because of our position, um, the true leader is going to recognize they're going to need those, uh, the, the, um, the spotters, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. To check your blind spots. Sure. Right. Um, but if you can, ta- if you, if he's saying we're successful because of our people, then tap into those people, yeah. tap into that resource yep. Let you know, actually use them as your eyes and ears and the good ones know to do that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I'm not saying I'm not teaching that or preaching it to like a group of people that just by no means understand it. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm speaking to those two or three that maybe missed the, missed the point or maybe they didn't get it. Sure. And then here's the other piece of it. I said, you know what? Here it is. Because you guys are in a leadership position. Understand this. If you take care of our people, then they'll take care of you. Yeah. Sometimes it's that simple. But 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 you have to be the smart person to figure out, all right, what does that look like? Sure. Yeah. What does what does me taking care of our people look like? And so that's where you ha- you're going to have to get creative. And to get into that creativity make some space, some yeah. time and I, room to I, develop that in your brain. I think it takes humility. And yeah. I think, I think some people struggle with, um, leveraging other people because it's almost, uh, there's a lack of control when, when you tap into the other resources and other people, but having the humility to realize that there's things that other people bring to the table better than I ever could and being able to, 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 to lean on those strengths and, and um and, and almost build a better version because of the people that are there. Mm-hmm. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other piece too that you have hit on. Um, I mentioned too. One of them was having a spotter. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like I like that idea. Um, the other is um, practicing. Uh, you know, I was thinking about playing sports when you were talking about you know the sports analogy or the military analogy. Sure. Um, my coaches would yell like, you're going to play like you practice. And you know, when we would do drills, if we didn't go 110%, it was like, line it up and do it again. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm not going to settle for just a, a half effort. When, when, when the game is on, you, I heard this, this quote, Chris Voss said this, when the, when the pressure's on, you don't rise to the occasion. You fall to the highest level of preparation. Ooh, very nice. And yep. so it's like, yeah, you might think, oh, well, I'm one of those that I rise to the occasion. I step up to the plate. I can wing it. I can go for it. Some people are gifted and they can they can get to a certain point. Mm-hmm. But I think what elevates people's leadership and influence is when they practice and they are intentional about that that practice. And, and um, man, it looks different for different people. Being in sales, we role play. 
That's and awesome. I, I hear people all the time say, Oh, I hate, I hate doing role plays. I don't like it. I, you know, I'm better just on the phone, but I'm, I, and I tell them, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't take that answer. Like we, we have to practice. If you don't hear yourself say the things that, that we, we need to say, then how are you going to know to say it when it's time to say it? Right. And, um, in software, it's complicated. And, yeah. and so there are times where I will literally tell guys that I've been working with for years that are very tenured, that know how to sell. I'll tell them, I say, look, we've got to practice this. Right. We have to hear ourselves say it. And we need to have the repetition and the practice so that when we get into the real time situation, we're competent and we're prepared. Mm-hmm. For you guys, it's it's a matter of life and death a lot of times. It's safety. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, speak on that a little bit. Speak on that the, the, the value of that. And how do you get it to hit home with the people that you're training? Well, a lot of it has to do with knowing your audience. Sure. Because we, we deal from, you know, your most educated folks that are like possible engineers, architects, project managers, and stuff like that, to people that literally just came on board from just being in the, you know, uh, working at a storefront somewhere, and this sure. is the first time they've gotten into construction. So, yeah. and plus, the not, not, that's not even getting into the language barriers and stuff like that. So, it's knowing your audience, um, what you're trying to convey, how, how can you connect, right? Um, yeah, I've learned a long time ago. If you've, you've probably heard of John Maxwell, yeah, uh, yeah I love. He says Maxwell. a lot of things, man, yeah. and he's just a wealth of knowledge. And I remember him talking about how, you know, um, getting to the heart before you ask for the hand. Sure, right. And that that can work with a lot of people, regardless of their age, <coughs> amount of talent or knowledge. Yeah, it's how do you make that connection? As a matter of fact, what I feel like in my training, believe it or not, one of the most important parts of my training is the introductions. Yeah. When I introduce myself, I go first and then I let everybody in the classroom and I take that time because I want to know about them. Yep. I want to know yep. about them. Yep. And when I get to learn them, they start, I mean, they're, they're all listening to each other. And at some point they may hear something like earlier, just, just in our conversation tonight, it's, Hey, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I told, I told you I was born in Houston. There may be somebody listening right now that connected with me because they're also from Houston. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so something as simple as that, they, yeah. so they can kind of resonate or they, there's that connection and we can go from there. Sure. Right? And so, and that's kind of what I'm fishing for. I know I genuinely do want to know about them, but then I'm also fishing for those nuggets or those tidbits of information to allow these guys to connect. Yep. I say yep. guys, I mean guys and women. And all, you know? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and so, um, okay, so knowing your audience and then going from there and how I can start explaining and just kind of laying out the story. Yeah. And, um. What, what, what was the rest of your question? Well, it was just kind of like how, how to get people to connect with mm-hmm. with that idea. You um you reminded me of a quote. I heard someone say, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. That's right. And it's the same idea. It's uh, yeah. it's it's reaching reaching for the heart before before you ask for the hand. And I think that's so good. Um, I <clears throat> Max John Maxwell's amazing, and mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of value in in the different principles that he teaches. And <clears throat> I think. I think that anybody that's listening to this, no matter what position they find themselves in, either in their career or just in life in general, um, can benefit from and learn from um, being somebody who seeks to connect with people first. Um, 
and, and, and kind of build that connection. And like you said, like somebody might be listening that connects with Houston. Somebody might be listening with immigrant parents that connects with your story of, right. Of, um, and you didn't dive into <clears throat> some of the racial tension and, and ways that you were treated, but somebody might be listening going, Oh gosh, I, I connect with that. Cause I've been there. Sure. Um, being able to do that with people because we're always dealing with people, um, and, and, and showing that you genuinely care opens the door for you to then better communicate, better, um, teach some of these black and white things, uh, uh messages that you have to articulate, mm-hmm. um, in, in a very, uh, intentional, uh, personal, colorful way. Yeah. Um, and I think that's so valuable. I just, I don't know, man, I, I get, I, I have all these thoughts in my head and I get into this, this zone right now where I just think about the different people that I know personally who will listen to this episode that will never find themselves <laughs> in the OSHA safety trainer sure. type of position, but could absolutely benefit from what would it look like for me to have some spotters in my life? What would it look like for me to um, uh, seek to connect with people and practice and, and better train and go and better prepared? I, I had a, a boss once. I talk about him a few times. His name is Tyler. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he told me he'd come on this podcast, so I, I got to hold him to it. But um, he and I were preparing. This was um, several years ago. We were we were working together for a leadership organization, and he and I were preparing to go do a seminar for a group of like a hundred teachers. And uh, I felt pretty good about our content. And when I was younger, I was very like, I'm not gonna say cocky, but like pretty confident and like I can run through this a couple times. So I'm gonna be good to go. And uh, and so I was kind of bringing some of that uh, uh, energy and he sat me down and he was like, we probably need to run through this a few more times. And I was like, no, nah, I think we're good. And he said, I know you're good, but let's, let's make sure we, we, we have it excellent. And he said, um, uh, preparation precedes excellence. If you're going to do something well, um, then there's going to be preparation for it. And that definitely precedes what you're doing. And so I just remember him saying that preparation precedes excellence, preparation precedes excellence. So, um, yeah, man, I just hope that somebody listening or watching, um, is able to connect and able to, um, uh, hear the way that you connect with people and the way that you bridge the gap for, uh, people of different languages and different backgrounds and, um, and, and communicate what it is that you need to communicate. So I'll share this with you real quick. So there's somebody I want to introduce you to. I haven't met personally, but it was actually, he was brought to me by a previous mentor, Dr. Steve Robbins. Uh, he talks a lot about uh, diversity and inclusion, cool. but he's, he's more about, he's going to tell you that he's more of an inclusion person than anything. But he, the, the biggest thing about him is he studies the brain. The neuro, he's a neurologist and cool. this awesome cool. piece. And he says that the brain is lazy. Uh, as a matter of fact, that your brain makes up 2% of your body mass, but in terms of energy output, it's putting out like 20% of all your energy. So there's a big, um, uh, oh my gosh, what's the word? I'm, um, not deficit there. Um, like, a uh, the way that it's, it's using more resources than, than 
it'll come back to me. Okay. But yeah. So yeah, now keep I'll start over. So Dr. Steve Robbins says that your your brain makes up two percent of your body mass. Sure. But in terms of energy output, it's twenty percent. Okay. So it's a big difference. And that being said, is your brain is an energy hog. Yeah. Yeah. If your brain can conserve energy whenever it can, it will. If we, if you and I were to leave this room right now, guess what we would do? We turn off the lights and, you know, shut everything down to do what? Conserve energy. Sure. So wherever the brain can conserve energy, AKA cut corners, AKA <sighs> path of least resistance. Sure. Yeah. It's going to do it. Yeah. That that's why getting out of your comfort level, it, it's, it's, it takes a lot yeah. for people to get out of their comfort level. But here's one thing I've learned. I've made a career out of stepping out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Matter of fact, I say for you to live comfortably, check this out. To be comfortable in your personal world, you got to get uncomfortable in your professional world. Absolutely. Because whenever I've gotten uncomfortable in my professional world, that's where I've made strides. That's where I've made growth. That's where I've made impact. Sure. And in turn has allowed me promotions. That has allowed me comforts and luxuries sure. outside of work. Sure. Like vacations and, you know, being out at the beach or whatever that looks like in my personal time. Yeah. So, but our brain tends to be lazy. And yeah. so in our world of construction, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this quick, uh, this other story, or how to, how to tie it into our world of construction. I've seen this several times where there was this one gentleman, he was an iron worker superintendent who we all knew on this project was two way, two weeks away from being, uh, from retiring. Yeah. Okay? He had been doing this for several years, 30 some odd years. And one day I come up to him and his crew, he had like three apprentices with them and they were up on these scissor lists, these, uh, mobile elevator work yeah. platforms yeah. and they needed to have, um, fall protection and they were tied off. Yep. So the good news, they were tied off, but they were tied off to the wrong anchor point. <clears throat> so all the way down to the anchor point, the anchor point actually has got to be what it would stand 5,000 pounds of pressure. And these are like the little nuances that you, you, that you know, as a safety manager and then yep. you're out there teaching these guys. Yep. Right. And so I see that these three guys are tied off incorrectly. And I asked this gentleman to come over to me. I'd like to talk to him. And the reason I was calling him over to me is because I didn't want to call him out in front of his guys. Sure. I, mean, I just wanted to give him that courtesy, right? Like I'm not yeah, calling you out yeah. in front of these guys. And he's, as he's walking towards me, he's looking at me. He says, Hey Vic, <clears throat> how long you been doing this? <laughs> and so here comes that question, right? How long you been doing this? Uh, Cause I've been doing this over 30 some odd years. And I thought to myself, hang on. And I wasn't trying to be a smart aleck or something. Like I said, hang on, Joe, you mean to tell me that you've been doing this over 30 some odd years. I've only been doing this like seven or eight years, but I can see three things wrong. You guys are doing. And he got a kind of, he kind of got quiet. I'm like, it's like, man, you're getting ready to retire in two weeks. And when you leave, I have to correct this. Yeah. I'm going to have to come back. And they're going to be like, well, by God, if Joe did it this way, I'm going to do it this way. And there's going to be friction points there. Sure. Right? Sure. But what was really happening was he was right. He's not wrong. And just because you've been doing it a certain way for so long doesn't mean it's bad or terrible. But what that's telling me is that early on in his career, in those first five years, let's just say, you can only imagine the time, effort, and energy he put into the way he works. And he finally got to himself where he was comfortable and he was on cruise control. Yeah. 
And now all of a sudden here comes this young buck whippersnapper safety guy that came out of nowhere who doesn't, who has not asked for the heart, but is asking straight for the hand. Yeah. And you're going to tell me how to, you know, how long have you been doing this pal? Yeah. Right. So who am I to ask him to change his ways or give me, in other words, I'm there selling him on something. Yeah. And he's got to contemplate whether or not he's going to put the energy forth in. Sure. And instead of putting the energy, he's going to give me the, the pushback or the, you know, you know, and so, um, yeah, the, the energy piece is huge. It's actually one of my last principles I share. It's like in no particular order, but that energy piece is the last one. Yeah. Because <clears throat> everything from what we've been talking about to honestly, maybe going back to several of your other podcasts, it doesn't matter how nice and impactful it all sounds or how, how the means and the methods and the best practices and the, and the recipe to this and that it all requires energy. Yep. And if you wake up in the morning and you're not at a hundred now, a lot of us, we go to sleep and we, if we remember to plug our phones, guess yep. what? In the morning it's at a hundred percent. Yep. But if I was, if I was to ask Adam Bieber, <laughs> are you at a hundred percent? You might say, Hey, I'm at 75. Yeah. I might be at 80. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And if we're at 80, guess what we're reaching for after we brush our teeth, comb our hair. We're looking for that coffee. We're looking for that energy drink yep. to make up for what we're lacking. Yeah. So we can get up and attack the day. Yep. Kirby smart. One of the best football coaches out there, college, yeah. collegiate, right? Yeah. Attack the day, attack the day. I mean, it sounds awesome. He, he <clears throat> makes you want to run through a brick wall. He does. Yeah. But you know what? Attacking the day requires energy. Yeah. <laughs> Even that requires getting up and uh-huh. getting after it. Sure. And, 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 and if you, if you're not there, if your tanks at 75%, depending on what you have in that tank, is going to influence or um, is it's going to shape whatever your priority list looks like yep. or your agenda. Yep. And if you're not a hundred, guess what? If you have a list of thin, ten things you're you, you're supposed to do, you might end up chopping off two or three. I'm going to cut corners just you're like gonna, my brain. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Th- it's really really good. Um. I think that. A lot of times, well, and I've said this before, like nobody's accidentally healthy or accidentally disciplined. Like you don't just wake up and you're like, I'm disciplined now. Like you have to choose to do it. You have to choose to, um, to take action. And like you were saying earlier, it doesn't matter the, the means and the method, the principles, none of it is worth anything. I say this a lot during training when, when, when I, um, when I work with our, our sales teams and I train either my team or other teams, as soon as we get to the end, I say, Hey, <clears throat> all this training is worthless unless you apply it. <laughs> we can sit here and train and pretend like we're doing this and practice or talk about it and, and sharpen our skills. But if you don't go and use it, this was worthless. This was a waste of time. Um, and so I think my challenge today, at least the one I'm taking away and the one I encourage our listeners to take away is to, um, to look at the areas of your life where you could, um, take action, uh, practice, you know, prepare for whatever it is that you're doing. Um, go into it ready instead of just thinking you're going to somehow perform at the level that you want to perform. No, prepare for it, practice it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then consider, consider having some, some safety officers in your life. Consider having a spotter that can come along and and see things and call things out. I personally 
um, have taken it upon myself to seek out mentors that have a seat at the table with me specifically to call out areas that are blind spots. Um, there's a handful of them, a couple of them that know me really, really well. I've had one of them on this podcast. His name's Trey. He was, I think my first interview episode two. He's one of those people. I've known him for five years now, and he's one of the people that, um, has the right. I've given him the right said, you have the right. If he sees anything or feels like he needs to call out something and just be a spotter in my life, he has the right to do it. And he knows that I'm expecting him to, to do that for me. Um, and so I encourage that. I really do encourage that of our listeners, but Victor, as we, as we kind of wrap this up here, um, is there anything else that you would challenge somebody listening today that, that might be, um, finding themselves in a position where, um, they resonate with the story. They resonate with your experience and with what you're doing and, and just desire to elevate their leadership, get that much better. Well, something you said triggered something in my head too, is I thought about like as iron sharpens iron. And I know that's been thrown out there. I say thrown out there. It's probably not the nicest way to me, but it's been put, I mean, people have spoken that if it's something that's not a new concept. Yeah. The only thing I would say to that is just think about the quality of the iron you're surrounded by. Wow, I mean, there's good. what I've been able to do with my God-given talents, the time, effort, and energy that I've put into it. But my gosh, a great percentage. I can't quantify and tell you what that percentage looks like, but let's just call it 25%. 35% of who I am is a big reflection of the people I've been surrounded by. Too. 100%. 100%. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And so, man, they've poured into me and I there's, there's you know, flashes of, in the pan because that, that literally are flashes that are reflections of, of them in my life. Yep. And, um, you know, we talked about the energy piece, um, you know, not to take a deeper dive, but the energy piece is mind, body, and soul. Yeah. What are you putting in your mind? What are you doing with your body? You know, 2020 was heavy on a lot of people. It manifested way in, in, in different ways, whether sure. it's health or, you know, something physical for me, it was physical. It was a back pain. I couldn't figure out what it was. And before I took a deep dive into medical, I said, let, let me go hit the gym. I mean, I took care of a doctor kind of like said, Hey, you're fine here, that and the other. I don't know what else to tell you. I said, you know what? I'm going to start going to the gym. I've been able to lose like 11 pounds, but I, I was putting stress on stress. And in other words, I was trying to, you know, yeah. um, cause I needed an outlet. And so I was able to now physically be in a better place. Um, mentally with your mind and with your soul. Here's a saying from Lena Horn that I got to tell you about that. I love man. Sure. I get this in my back pocket yeah. and I love it. Lena Horn. She was an activist singer from back in the day. She says, it's not the load that breaks you down. It's the way you carry it. Yeah. I love it for life. I love it for our construction. It's not the load that breaks you down. It's the way you carry it. We all are carrying something. Dang. So That's either good. spread the load, find somebody to help you, or you know what? Let go yeah. of that baggage yeah. or set it down yeah. for a minute. Yep. Okay. Now, some of us, we may hit it, you know, spread the load and, you know, find an outlet through music, through exercise, maybe from a spiritual. For me, it's, you know, my heavenly father has got broader shoulders than I do. Yeah. Guess what? Amen to that. Right. Yeah. And so I let him help me out. Yep. And there's moments where, you know, we want that full control and we're going, going, going. But there's moments where you're going to have to hand that over to a higher authority. who has got bigger, bigger, stronger shoulders than you do. I and, love uh, that. 
Yeah. I feel like we could do another podcast episode we, just well, on that. Oh my gosh. For sure. Yeah. That's good. Um, and for me too, in my professional world, or I say professional, really at the age of 43, life happening to me, I said, you know what I've learned is to put anything and everything. When you could, if you could put the odds in your favor, you could put the numbers in your favor. That's what you want to do. Yeah. You know, earlier, you know, we talked sports, military and stuff like that. You know, most people know who Tom Brady is. Yep. They consider him the GOAT. Yep. One of the greatest of all time. Athletically, is he one of the greatest of all time? That's questionable. Maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah. But you know what he was about? He was about the high percentage <clears throat> throw. Yep. Just listen to ESPN, any of the sports people, they're going to tell you this guy was about the high percentage throw. And um, so sometimes in life, man, what can you put anything and everything in your favor? So you can have success. Yeah. Yeah. We have the resources to stack the deck in our favor, to go in prepared. Well, for sure. And and check, speaking of resources, I don't know if you've noticed this. Um, maybe you have, but just recently, a few years back, freshmen and rookies were doing things in, fo- in fo- football, in collegiate football and pro football. They were setting records, breaking records. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Freshmen and rookies. Now take somebody like I just mentioned Tom Brady. Okay. Um, talented, it's been through a lot, but look at his age. He's, he's out, he's out playing. He's out there still playing. So there's, is it that today's athlete is that much better from yesteryear's athlete? Or is it that today's resources, technology, instruments, means and methods, best practices, recoveries, vitamins, all of these things add up to really push the envelope and take these, these high-level performing athletes to the next level. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I can almost guarantee you, if you talk to yesteryear's athletes, and they, they'd probably tell you, man, if I lived, if I played with these rules that they have today and yeah. the stuff that they have today, uh-huh. oh, yeah. I, yeah. I probably would have played another two, three, four years. Yep, yep. Actually, you mentioned that. Um, <clears throat> LeBron just played his first game against a player who was born after LeBron debuted in the NBA. Wow, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Kid you, is 19 years old playing you, against LeBron hey, James. Hey, you know what? But that's what I'm looking to. I'm not an athlete, but I'm in the game. Yeah. The game of life. Yep. And I'm at that stage. I'm at 43. It's like, so I'm, I'm in that weird place between, you know, the younger group and then the, uh, uh, the baby boomers that are retiring. Sure. Yep. And so I, now I'm bridging the gap, not between uh, Spanish and English, but now I'm, I'm, I'm bridging the gap between generations. Yeah. And I'm taking, um, you know, what I've learned and seen from the baby boomers and applying what's still valid and can be used for the next generation. Yeah. And, but absolutely. here's the, here's the thing is that you and I both understand that today's world is not exactly like the one that mom and dad grew up in. So, no. so we're navigating those waters Yeah. and all the more reason why podcasts like this exist, because we need this sharing of information yeah. to, to navigate these uncharted waters, these, these unknowns that we have tomorrow. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm super thankful because um, anytime I've been able to sit down and talk with, with somebody on this podcast and sitting down with here with you tonight, it's, it's a, a, a blessing and, and I'm, I'm grateful because for you to share this, not withhold it, you know, the, a lot of people have something to say and they just let it stay within instead of instead of getting it out and sharing and um, not withholding the the knowledge and the wealth of experience that you have. Um, 
And I truly believe that it's it's going to benefit. And that's that's why I, I want to do this. That's why I decided to take a take a leap of faith in in starting this thing at the beginning of the year was to to be a resource for for somebody that is looking for one. Um, and so thank you. Thank you for taking the time to come on here. I feel like we could talk for hours, but I also want to <laughs> be cognizant of of the time that that we've been recording and, and your right. time here tonight. Um, so any last, any last thoughts that you would leave with, with our listeners before we wrap this up, Vic? Yeah, no, I just, uh, I, 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 you know, I'm with you 100% what you're talking about. I appreciate the opportunity to come out here. I look forward to maybe doing this again, maybe taking a deeper dive into sure. some other areas and, um, um, that's, that's probably about it. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, Hey, thank you again for, for coming out tonight and for, for sitting down with me for talking about this. If you're listening to this, I hope that something connected with you. And, um, my, my challenge to you is to, um, uh, walk away and, and apply something, apply something that you heard in this episode, whether it be, um, incre- increasing your circle, um, so that you have quality iron to sharpen yourself against, or it's, um, uh, developing the desire to, not take the path of least resistance, but to actually work and train and practice and do whatever it is you got to do to get that much better at what you do. Um, taking action. I'll say what I say to, to my guys on my team, this podcast and listening to all this is worthless if you don't do anything with it. So my challenge to you is to do uh, something with it. And as always, uh, thank you for listening. I really do appreciate it. Um, we've got a few more episodes left of, uh, 2022. So stick with us and then, um, and then let's enjoy this holiday season. If you're listening to this, it's the day before Thanksgiving. Um, and when this episode will come out, um, on Wednesday and, uh, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy your holidays and I'm looking forward to these last few episodes of the year. And then, um, excited to jump into, uh, 2023 with all of you. So, uh, tune in again soon for another episode and then victor once again thanks so much for coming on man appreciate you you got it man thanks for having me yeah take care thank you for listening to today's episode to learn more about synergetic culture we invite you to go to synergeticculture.com sign up to receive our weekly podcast and blog and then connect with us on social media we want to be connected to you If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe to the podcast and then share our show with the people around you so they too can build a synergetic culture. This episode was written and recorded by Adam Bieber, founder and CEO of Synergetic Culture. Synergetic Culture is a registered trademark of Adam Bieber and the Synergetic Culture Company.